Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. How likely is it that you could perhaps maybe get us a little tour <laughs> around McLaren HQ? Oh, hit me up. A hit, little one. Hit me up. Hello and welcome to the Cut to the Race podcast. Uh, on the show today we have Callum. How are you? Hello, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Uh, Matt, how are you? How are you? <laughs> I'm great, thanks. <laughs> Emma, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. How are you, Ollie? Oh God, this is ridiculous. <laughs> um, and we have a special guest, Ella Podmore. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. No problem. So, um, for the people who don't know who you are, um, can you describe yourself in one sentence? I'm Ella Podmore and I'm the lead materials engineer for McLaren Automotive. That's a pretty cool job title. Um, <laughs> you recently won uh, Young Women Engineer of the Year. Congratulations. Can you just tell us a bit about that award and, and, and the people that you're up against? Absolutely. So yeah, Young Women Engineer of the Year was awarded to me by the IET, so the Institute of Engineers and Technology. And it's basically an award to kind of encourage and raise awareness of uh, females in engineering disciplines, science discipline, mainly, mainly the STEM discipline. So when we talk about STEM, we talk about science, technology, engineering and maths. And it's no secret that the women in these industries are underrepresented. So this award was kind of brought about to celebrate women in these positions and to raise awareness that there are actually some pretty cool jobs going around in these disciplines. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm completely chuffed. I can't believe it. I was up against some phenomenal boss women. <laughs> and, you know, it's across all disciplines. So, you know, people in working in biomechanics, working on robots, working on transportation, civil engineering, like I was up against all these, all these amazing people leading their fields, really. And uh, I was flabbergasted 
you know, I, I make cars, I make fast cars. I don't save lives, but they're pretty cool. They're pretty quick. So yeah, a month ago I got the title and my feet haven't really touched the ground. <laughs> For those of us who aren't engineers like me, what exactly is it you do for the development of the car? And like, can you dumb it down a little bit as well? Because I'm not the sharpest tool in the box. <laughs> no worries. Yeah. So I'm a materials engineer. So I went to study a master's of materials engineering at Manchester Uni. And basically what I do, I analyze things on a very small scale. So I look at materials basically under microscopes, take materials to the laboratory and look at ways on how to improve these cars. And whether that be components, parts from the car coming from development test tracks, if we're launching a new model and we want to experience what a new material does in a, a particularly chassis upright or a wheel or whatever, um, that we would go and test that, see if it endures those conditions. And then I will look at it under the microscope, see how it's performed, if we've got any micro cracks, if we've got any weathering signs, for example, I would um, look at those and develop a report. And then based on what I find, we can evaluate whether we're going to put that on the car um, but another really fancy part of my job is that as you guys know McLarens are notoriously bespoke <laughs> so our customers are of a particular kind of wealth that they like things personalized and that gives me a really exciting job actually because we have all sorts of requests and you would not believe the kind of requests we get we get crystals diamonds gold and just beautiful colors that fuchsia pink for example and as a materials engineer i have to make sure that all these really expensive materials but also unusually colored materials can fare the same conditions that our production spec does so if we take that fuchsia pink, for example, we had a customer who wanted to deck the all the leather interior with that fuchsia pink and it was going out to Dubai. Dubai having very high levels of UV, then we're worried about the degradation of that particular colour in comparison to our other production specs. So I'll be in the lab with this fuchsia pink thing, <laughs> having a look, seeing if this um, is going to degrade any faster or if the conditions and mechanical performance of it is going to um, take away from what it's meant to do. And I've had the same with 24 karat gold with exhaust systems, making sure that that's enduring those really high temperatures that we get on the exhaust and stuff like that. So that's a really fancy part of my job. And I do like that bit. So what does a, a typical day look like um, in your role as a materials engineer? I mean, do, do you collaborate with any other departments or, you know, within McLaren's to so just talk us through what a typical day sort of looks like for you? Absolutely. So as a materials engineer at an automotive company I tend, tend to be outnumbered in terms of mechanical engineers automotive engineers and I do have quite a job sort of doing my craft but then presenting that to all these different engineering divisions you know we have the chassis team wanting to know if they can use this particular type of material and it's really important that I make sure that that material fits with the other materials that the electrical teams are looking at, for example, because we've got to make sure their reactivities are okay. So I'm definitely a, a communication link between different engineering departments. And quite often I do find myself sort of saying like in my reviews, like this is how it is. <laughs> Please listen to me. <laughs> There's only one of me. Um, and yeah, no, it's, it's a great part of my job. Day to day, it normally varies quite a bit. I've mentioned that I'm in the lab quite a lot. And this, 
I normally start my day with um, laboratory experiments. So if I know that I've got to take a component to the lab, I would start off going in, check my emails like everyone does, but that's boring. We go into the laboratory, take the component, um, have a look, do my experiments. Sometimes this takes longer. Sometimes I'm in there all day, but sometimes this is over pretty quickly. And then um, after lunch, I'll either have a technical review with the executives or other engineers to sort of say what I found in the lab. Um, or I get, if I want to see how it performs on a car, I might be able to go out in the car. That's a great perk. <laughs> um, and then meetings for the rest of the day. So I, I do like to think that I've got quite a cool balance in practical hands-on stuff, but then also the business side of things. And that's what I love being part of McLaren Automotive is that we are sporty we're teams driven but then we also are a business and that's really cool as an engineer to like contribute back to an industrial society it's uh it's the best of both worlds so i'm really enjoying it what point sparked your interest in engineering specifically you know you're going to be dabbling in chemical engineering metallurgical practices all sorts of crazy things with what you do at what point did you nail it down and go this is it this is what i want to do this is the path i've chosen is such a good question because there are so many different divisions of engineering. And I'm so glad that you picked up on that map because going through school, if a kid's interested in science and maths, then they want to solve problems. You know, you don't study engineering as a subject. So someone may mention to you, okay, yeah, you'll be a great engineer. And you're like, cool. Yeah, that's what I want to do. And then you're like, oh my gosh, there are so many engineering subjects. And for me, it went a little bit like that. So if we go way back to childhood times, I have two brothers and I grew up in a family, fortunately, who they were quite like mechanically minded. My brothers used to love tearing things apart. And my mom was horrified at the state of the dinner table just before we we're about to eat. Like there was stuff just being passed around. I'm like, oh, what's this? What's this? So we were all very like curious and inquisitive as, as to how mechanisms fit together. And I think that was really important. It sort of instilled like a, a logical thought process as to what I thought I liked and what I enjoyed. Now, they were always interested in cars. And to me, I loved them. I had a, a big poster of McLaren P1 on my wall in my bedroom when I was a little girl, just because I liked the glamorous side of it. I was like, oh, they look sexy. They look brilliant. Like, look how fast they go. And But I would never be in the garage myself taking things apart. You know, I wouldn't be in a boiler suit. I'd always be curious as to how it fit together. But you know, cars were cool. It wasn't going to be my career though. And then when I went to school, I loved science. So maths and chemistry were my thing. And I still wanted to fix things though. Going back to that, I wanted to know how things went together. So I was like, okay, I like science. I want to fix things. I was pointed down the engineering route, but my passion was chemistry. And I was like, I really want to integrate chemistry into engineering. And that kind of ref nicely refined it for me already. So we were looking at chemical engineering and materials engineering. And uh, there was one particular, I was very proactive as a kid. So and any students listening who want to uh, get into these engineering divisions, the one thing I can recommend is like go out and try these things. There are loads of like open days at universities. And it was one of those in materials engineering that I went along to. And it blew my mind. It, it was just ridiculous. I know they're trying to show off their course and everything, but I went along and they were like, 
printing photovoltaics. They were printing solar cells out of a printer. And they were like, yeah, we can generate energy by doing this. I was like, what? They had super floating superconducting magnets. And I was like, this is what I want to do. (laughs) It's materials engineering. And then I went off to study that. And when it got to the chance of me applying to jobs, applying to internships, I sort of was like, oh, I can combine two passions here. Like I could combine that sort of childhood dream of working for a glamorous car company, but then also I can fix problems for them. So I applied to McCarran. So before we get into the the, the, the the cars, because obviously we want to talk about cars, um, for, for our listeners, how long does it sort of take from, you know, a, a design concept for a car um, to actually being on the production line? How long does that take? Well, uh, McLaren is fairly unique, so it is a lot quicker than it is on other automotive companies. Um, you know, larger corporations may take significantly longer but we are a small company um we have like a very niche market you know we are about customer experience and our deadlines are really fast it's it's a high performance environment and we get these projects out quickly um one the 765 lt is we brought out and i think in around about four years it took us to to go from pen to paper all the way to production but it we do have projects that were a lot quicker than that wow so out of the cars you've worked on which was your favorite now you gave us the list yesterday and pretty much every mclaren supercar that anyone can name you've worked on it so <laughs> my personal favorite was the 720s because it's a gorgeous car and it's a weapon on the mm-hmm. track as well what was your favorite this is a good question oh it's so difficult to pick Obviously, that P1 memory and the reason why I got to McLaren, that P1 car just looks so good. I mean, considering how long it's been out, that style is timeless. And at the in the McLaren Boulevard, we've got this like, I'm sure you've seen with all the drives to survive and everything that's going on. We have like this lovely setting where we have all of our cars lined up there, heritage cars and upcoming models. And we have a P1 there. So every time I go to lunch, I like look at this P1, I'm like, oh how do they do that? It still looks good. Like it's mad. Um, but for me, for me, like I love the 765 LT. I've been fortunate enough to drive that. And it's just a fantastic compact little track car. That's just, it looks great, but it just performs so well. But I think the most fun project I worked on was probably the speed tail purely because it's just outrageous. It's outrageous, you know. You can imagine the kind of materials that I got to play with on that. If we look at the front badge alone being made out of platinum gold and I get to sort of take that to the lab and have a little analysis of something that's worth <laughs> thousands, <laughs> it's pretty cool. Um, so the speed tail was really fun. And then the Artura, you know, what we've just recently released, That's that was so exciting. That was really different. And actually thinking about that, sorry, I'm changing my answers all the time, Callum. But um, I think the Artura was the most interesting because it was just so different going from a V8 to a V6 in this new car. There were lots of new technologies that um, I was involved with in that powertrain element. So some really juicy projects with the Artura. So all of them basically <laughs> i narrowed it down there <laughs> <laughs> narrowed it down to all of them um so when mclaren develop a car is the primary focus 
to be a track car built for the road or is it a road car that can go on the track? Because obviously you look at the Senna and you think track car, but you look at, and, and also the 765 LT, but then you look at another car, say like the, the 720S, that's probably more road-based than track-based, isn't it? So is the focus to be a track car for the road or the opposite way around? It's a really good question. And to be honest, it's it's right up to that initial design element phase. Um, I don't think we narrow ourselves into any particular sort of pigeonhole. It, at the end of the day, all of our cars are there for the customer experience. And whether that be on the roads, on the car, um, on the track, sorry, we're all about how that driver feels. And I think that's something that is decided right at the beginning of the project and it will change. So I don't think we have a, a set particular um, goal in mind. We, we mix it up, but we at the, the heart of everything that we do, we want that driver to just come out of the car and go, wow. <laughs> and I've seen that and it's mad. And I'm like, yeah, we did our job. <laughs> so I actually found quite an interesting stat um, the other day. 12% of those working in engineering and technical positions are women. Um, and I was I was really, really surprised um, at that. But it's, it seems to be quite clear that there's there's not enough women working in, in sort of the STEM industries. What are the, the barriers for women to actually get into these positions? And, and what more, in your opinion, could be done to encourage women to get into them? It's a really good question. And thanks for bringing it up, Emma, because it's, you know, it's glaringly obvious that there aren't enough women in these STEM positions, these science, technology, engineering and maths positions. And I think if we could pinpoint exactly what it was that was not encouraging girls to take up science and not encouraging them to enter these industries, then, you know, that's the million dollar question. I don't know if there's anything specific that's going to be contributing towards that. I have seen significant improvements since when I was back at university and uh, until now, you know, at McLaren in those four or five years, I've seen significant improvement in terms of the women we're employing in product development in McLaren. However, I do think the automotive industry is significantly behind in terms of balancing out the, the, the gender ratios. And I've seen amazing improvements made in aerospace, mechanical engineering um, and chemical engineering materials, but the automotive industry and, and whether that be a, a masculine stigma associated with performance cars, whether it be that that male energy that we have um, just still associated with, with cars, I don't know. And I think in order going forwards, how we can improve it, I do often speak to schools, universities, career fairs and stuff. And it's really interesting to see where girls change their ambitions. So I do the lot, you know, primary schools, secondary schools, colleges, universities, whatever. And normally when we go to primary schools, you just have like wild ambitions. We have like astronauts and rocket launches and I'm like yes I love it and you should hear the questions that we get on the cars by the way from primary school kids they're just so refreshing and amazing they're just like but why is it red <laughs> they just look at the car like why is it red and I'm like I've no idea that's a really good question <laughs> um, I get anyway. questions from my five-year-old on a daily basis it's like mommy why is your car got a steering wheel and I'm like yeah it's to turn it <laughs> <laughs> but why isn't it like I know this? the wild questions <laughs> they're 
brilliant though. And it's actually really refreshing for engineers to hear that. I think when you're so narrowed down on like a really specific technical thing, when you go and take a car to a school and you get questions like that, it's just, it's what it's all about. Anyway, but they are amazing ambitions in primary school. And when specifically girls I'm talking about here, and of course I'm generalizing, but this is what I've seen. Then we go into secondary school and it's around 12, 13, 14 years old. Then suddenly their ambitions change. And even if they did like science um, in primary school, you know, that isn't carried on. And then suddenly I'm noticing people, what do you want to do when you grow up? And then suddenly it's like, oh, I want to be an Instagram influencer, or I want to do this, I want to be on the TV and stuff. And it suddenly changes. And I don't know why specifically that is. I mean, going through school myself and picking an engineering subject, I do remember thinking, oh God, I'm even though everyone was like, oh, Ella, I can't see you in a boiler suit. I don't think that's really you. Are you sure you want to work in a garage? And I was just like, well, I don't think all engineers work in a garage, but you do sort of question it. And I wonder if it's the fact that we don't have many role models or we don't highlight many role models in the sense that you can be an engineer and you can go to travel to the Grand Prix or you can be an engineer and speak all these languages and go to what amazing countries. And I just don't think that's reflected in career days at school. And that's why So I really want to do this so often. It's fantastic to be on a podcast like this as well, to sort of echo the fact like, I have a really cool job. <laughs> I can't believe it. I love it. And every day I go into my facility and I can be myself as well. And I think that's really important. You know, you don't have to change yourself to fit an engineering stereotype. It's a, a long story, but when, going back when I started McLaren, I was so convinced that I had to be like a really tough masculine version of myself, thinking that I've got to fit into this motorsport industry. I've got to sort of make sure that I'm, I'm like everyone that I think is in this industry. And then it's only having years at McLaren and realizing that they can see through all of this rubbish. <laughs> they can see that I'm not being myself. And then you sort of realize, oh, okay, I can still have my nails done and work on a car. I can wear high heels around this place. That's fine. <laughs> and um, yeah, and I think that's another important message that we got to take back to schools, but it's such a big topic. I think about it, you know, almost every day that I do these things and uh yeah, it's getting there, but the automotive industry has got a way to go. So other than um, coming on the Cutler Race podcast, of course, what are the best parts about your job? Because you, you, you do so much outside of engineering, you know, you, like you said, you, you, you go to schools, you, um, you know, you, you influence the next generation, but surely it's driving the cars, right? It's a great park. And it's always the, the question that comes up when I go to school. <laughs> like, yeah, it's really cool, this microscope business, but can you drive them? <laughs> um, and yeah, we can. We're, we're really lucky in the sense that McLaren is a small company in the grand scheme of things. When you compare it to the, the big OEMs that you've got in the country, you just think that working so closely to the product. I mean, we're all based in Woking every engineering department, the production facility. If we've got an issue and we're looking at it on the computer and we're like, oh, I can't visualize this or it's just not making sense in CAD and stuff. We can walk to where it's actually being produced and you can chat to the technicians and you say, are you having issues with this? And they're like, actually, it's funny you should say that. And it's just, it's amazing. And I think that's something really unique to McLaren. 
And because it's relatively small and teams um, are working so closely with one another, you can ask the particular teams or the drivers, the development drivers that are taking out these cars. You could be like, can I come and have a look at this part or see how it fits? And um, I'm really fortunate to be working in a, a fault analysis division that means that we've got to analyse how this car comes together. It's really important to test these development vehicles before they get to production. And so I was hopping about in Arturas way before it was released. And it was really exciting. <laughs> so a great perk is driving them, of course. We don't let everyone drive them and you have to go through like rigorous licenses and stuff in order for you to physically drive them yourself, um, which I'm working my way up. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, but otherwise just being close to the product is fantastic. But aside from my technical point of my job, I get to travel the world and that's been really, really cool. So I did a couple of public speaking events for the, the topics you were talking about, Emma, you know, women in motorsport, um, technology in Formula One and how that trickles down into automotive. I was out in Australian Grand Prix doing talks on that. I mean, that was just phenomenal. And then all of our suppliers are, are quite... Um, in great countries. So sometimes when I get to visit supplier and see how our plants are doing from before the parts get to McLaren, I get to see the country as well. You briefly touched on how the automotive industry on the whole is behind the times, just full stop on inter fully integrating women to the workforce. You know, looking at the aeronautical industry, we have like Sally Ride here in the States, you know, the female astronauts. Yeah. Do you feel like Talk me through the feelings and emotions of assuming that mantle because you are that that pioneer, that trailblazer. Unfortunately, as late as it is, you know, you've basically been handed that torch. You know, what is that like, that weight to carry every day? Oh, well, thanks for your kind words. Um, it's difficult. It's difficult. I mean, quite often I do find myself being the only woman in the room and it's it can seem like a lot. I mean, it can seem like you're in a spotlight. And when I have young women coming up to me and asking me like what that's like and how have I coped with it and stuff, I am quite competitive by nature. So obviously it depends on the person, but when I sort of arrived at McLaren, I was like, Oh my gosh, there's a bit of a spotlight here. And being the only materials engineer there as well, I was like, this is going to be interesting. But you've got to use it. You've got to use it to motivate you. And I have been really fortunate to have the platform that I have had. And I just really want to like do all these events and raise the awareness and use that sort of award that I've just won and stuff to sort of shed a light in what we're doing. But you've really got to make make it motivate you. Don't let it, don't let it like hinder you. So girls getting into the automotive industry, I say like, go for it, like prove everyone wrong. Like don't let it, um, you know, put you in the shadows and stuff. But I completely appreciate this a lot. And there's some fantastic stuff now with social media in terms of um, looking at other people in the world doing a similar thing and some fantastic stuff in the States and Dubai and uh, things like that. So we have a network there. It's, it's very sparse, but it's building and... Yeah, I, I, the one thing I would say is just you just got to let it motivate you. And actually, if it wasn't for 
them there being so few women in this kind of industry, I don't think I would have gotten into STEM as much as I do. I would don't think I would be traveling to schools. And it's because of that gender disparity that I've had public speaking practice. I've been able to travel to Australia to do these speaking events, you know, and if that wasn't there, I wouldn't feel like I need to spread the word and raise awareness. So I've had some fantastic opportunities off the back of this and you've just got to see the positives out of it. Um, But yeah, use that spotlight, ladies. So I'm going to change the subject a little bit here, but you say you work at McLaren HQ, yeah, with the big lake in front of it and the massive driveway. What's it like approaching that? Because it looks like something out of a Bond film or something. Like, surely you feel like you're approaching like an evil villain's lair or something like that when you're going. Do you know what I mean? What, what's that like? I do know what you mean. And actually, <laughs> it has been used as like villains' lairs. I don't know if you guys have seen the the Fast and Furious Seven. I think it was when they had like that really evil den that was all filmed at McLaren. It was crazy. That's amazing. I'm gonna yeah. watch that now. Yeah, do. And it had your favourite in, Callum. It had um, the 720S in it. That was kind of our promo bid. Jason Statham. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you'd love it. Watch it. Anyway, um, it completely overwhelming, as you can imagine. I haven't really gotten into the story of when I like first started at McLaren, but basically my university degree had the opportunity to do an industrial placement year, which is a, basically 12 months that you can choose to work for a company, gain an insight into how that company works. And I wrote McLaren a letter. (laughs) How ballsy am I? (laughs) Wrote McLaren a letter. I was like, you don't employ materials engineers, but I think I could be really useful to you. And, um, and they were like, oh, okay, she's interesting. Invite her down for an interview. 19 years old, fresh from uni. I've never had like an official big time job. And I pulled up at the gatehouse because you're right, there's like a, a funny little road. And um, and I must have just looked terrified because the gatehouse guy was like, darling, you're going to be overwhelmed. And I was like, no, no, I'm not. I'll be fine. He was like, you will be overwhelmed. And then he gave me a map of where I had to go to travel to, to my interview room. And no exaggeration, I went in white underground tunnels up in a glass elevator which then shot you from underground over to this lake right up into this floating walkway which is where reception was and I was just quaking like oh my gosh and now I've got to do the biggest interview of my life it was hysterical but even now like I look back to then and I think gosh that was really overwhelming but even now I go in and it's so humbling and again going back to that that idea that McLaren is so unique. Um, the fact that, you know, we have three businesses there and we all feed off each other. It's, it's a fantastic environment and it's very humbling. Even my walk to lunch is not normal. You know what I mean? (laughs) I think McLaren's definitely the, the top trumps of F1 factories to go and visit. (laughs) It's definitely on my bucket list, but. um... Can you imagine the theater of that daily commute? (laughs) (laughs) All because you wrote a letter. <laughs> I know. Can you imagine if that was turned into a film? Like the sound guy and the visual effects guy would just have a field day. It's just <laughs> mental. <laughs> so this this past year, obviously we've we've been through a global pandemic. The majority of the the country has been in, you know, various different lockdowns. I think we're on like lockdown number three. Mm. Um, but how has the global pandemic affected your work? Has it changed your job in any way? That's a really good question. And at the beginning, it definitely did. If you think about what an engineer does and how practical we've got to get, 
the fact that we were all forced to work from home, that just shifted the dynamic hugely. And I think going back to the automotive industry in general, I, I, I thought they were very behind the times in terms of flexible working anyway. You know, you hear of my friends working in in different industries and stuff and flexible working was a thing that, that they could do if they had a doctor's appointment they can start their morning from home and stuff and in the automotive industry that just wasn't a thing so at the beginning it was so difficult going from that idea that we're all in one site we can if someone wasn't picking up the phone we can literally go over and sit on their desk until they would you know answer your question sort of thing so the fact that we had to then shift to not seeing any anyone obviously everyone had a similar problem but at McLaren I'm just saying it was dramatic um we couldn't see each other we couldn't see the product and for me I love to like visualize things I love to see how it goes on the car and stuff so it was really tricky but I do actually think that we can draw positives going from this so we have proven that everyone can work from home we've developed some systems that to ease the 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 communication of course we're all on like Microsoft Teams and things so it has sort of made people prioritize meetings it has made people when we go into the office I go in the office now probably three days a week two three days a week and it's lovely because I have that flexibility and we've proven to McLaren that we can actually do this from home and I really hope going forwards this could be something that we can uh, adapt and uh, do more of and I, going back to the getting more females in motorsport and stuff I think flexibility in the the working life is definitely going to help contribute towards that to both mothers and fathers with kids and if you like enjoy working from home if you've had a long commute etc it's definitely going to help but um, yeah it's definitely different and you know what that building's like it's very big so when it's not filled and I'm going in there just by myself into the lab, I'm just like rattling around in this enormous building. It's so funny. Um, but yeah, my style of working has definitely changed. I think I'm more efficient where I spend my time um, and people are communicating in a different way. But it's not a bad thing. With you being, you know, not pigeonholed, but selecting such a niche market with a niche company, with the materials engineer from McLaren, are there any sort of other areas of production that fascinate you or that you want to learn more about? And a follow-up to that, you know, what innovations have you seen come out of McLaren that you're like, oh, that would have been cool to come up with the answer for that or to do those tests? Ooh, good question. I think even though materials engineering is quite niche, I think it's actually very broad. So Obviously, I ended up working for an automotive company, but if you think about it, like everything is made out of something. So when I was choosing those placement companies or choosing where I wanted to go, I was like, oh my God, I can actually go into so many different things. And aerospace industry was one that I was going to consider. Civil engineering was one that I was going to consider. So, you know, anyone confused as to what engineering division to go into, I'm biased, obviously, but materials was a fantastic one and definitely give it a go because shameless there, plug <laughs> shameless plug had to get it in there there I did Matt it's fine um 
But yeah, it was, it's fantastic. And again, another shameless plug, I think with the way engineering's moving, whether it be in electronics, robotics, electrification, autonomy, like anything is going to need some adaptation to materials, whether it's lightweight, whether it's um, conductivity, you know, all these different things. So I think it's a really good industry um, type of engineering to get into. In terms of innovation, I... Being a materials engineer, especially at Manchester, which is where they isolated graphene. For those of you who don't know, graphene being like this super material that's effectively 2D. And it's so, so thin in one direction that its force comparative to its thickness is ridiculous. Like it's the most conductive material. It is the strongest material. And that was something that was up and coming at Manchester when I studied there. And of course, I went to McLaren um, and the material at McLaren, something that's close to McLaren's heart is carbon fibre. And that was great. Loved learning about what McLaren have done with carbon fibre and their new facility in Sheffield. We're really like breaking the boundaries in terms of that technology but graphene has always been on my radar I always sort of like have a look at how it's doing and all these fantastic new products that are going to come out and I think it's at a stage where we isolated it so quickly we thought it was brilliant and then we were like oh my god where do we put it in like it's it's so good we can't actually think of a bulk component to put it in yet and yet they're eventually trickling through so I'm always keeping my eye on graphene <laughs> I fingers crossed the dream with to like integrate be to integrate it into the car but I haven't told them that yet <laughs> I'm just gonna somehow subtly flick it in <laughs> so so in terms of materials uh, obviously we we are an f1 podcast and um, what materials are sort of shared between the, the 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 f1 cars and the mclaren road cars it's a good question i think the obvious one is carbon fiber so the fact that formula one were kind of the first place to bring this composite material to the roads prior to formula one it was aerospace you know it was this magic material that was really expensive that no one really understood but then f1 brought it to the to the grand prix and mclaren were the first company to bring that to domestic vehicles you know with the mclaren f1 road car that was the first car that people started to see it on and i think it was uh yeah it's something that we we love like we love to hold that close to our heart and i think going forwards we've put every monocage tub um, in our cars made out of carbon fiber so that was kind of the key one obviously I can't give too much away in terms of what the Formula One cars are made from but I always look to the Formula One cars in terms of the most elaborate materials and I think for me titanium has been one that is just like blown my mind we have exhaust systems that run so hot if you think about the 600 lt that actually spits flames <laughs> out the rear of the car and even the 765 lt you know that has flames coming out of the car and i think we had to think of something mad to like contain that or how we are just even allow that to exist and titanium was something that really that f1 do well and uh we brought that onto our cars as well Titanium actually changes colour, doesn't it, as well, under heat. You get, like, this rainbow effect, don't you? Yeah, yeah, good knowledge. Yeah. yeah so the exactly. exhausts, like, have this rainbow effect, don't they? Exactly. And actually our yeah. customers kind of see it as, 
an internal competition as to what color they can get their exhaust systems looking. <laughs> so yeah. I know I, you know, I like go on YouTube and see what kind of customers are up to with our cars and stuff. And, you know, if they can get it to purple, they're proper badass because they're going mental and they're getting their cars proper hot. And then this guy over here has only managed to get it yellow. Oh my God. <laughs> it's quite funny and we love to see it, but it's something really unique to titanium. I remember the P1 GCR having like a fantastic titanium exhaust system and we even color tinted it for particular customers if they wanted it purple like we were taking heat to it controlling the heat around it and we were able to give it like these beautiful purple um designs on it it's, it's a lovely material you were manufacturing patina in the titanium patina that may be my american parlance <laughs> like the, the the coloring of that like you were manufacturing that in the factory oh right yeah 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 we were um giving it color by applying heat to it only for particular customers. It wasn't production spec, but P1 GTRs, you, you can have a look, um, sometimes have like uh, purple rings around them because we were manufacturing it in a particular way for them. That's wild. I know, I know. <laughs> Materials geeking so, out. <laughs> when developing the McLaren Speedtail, obviously the way I see it is as a nod to the F1. Did they initially develop it as a nod to the F1 or did they happily think, oh, this can fit three seats in, let's make it a nod to the F1? It was with intention a nod to F1. I think the three-seater idea is so unique to that particular car. Um, it, Yeah, it was specifically with that in mind. and But with a modern-day twist, you know, there's been some fantastic advancements with the, the, the speed tail. I think my, my favourite one actually being that aileron at the back that is that rear wing that yeah it's not even like a fixed rear wing it's something that's retractable and for me that was just mental like the first car company to do something like that I was involved in that particular project being materials engineer we were sort of thinking how we can make something look aesthetically seamless <laughs> but then also create ridiculous amount of drag force to keep that thing on the ground <laughs> And yeah, it was all with our carbon fiber stuff. So yeah, brilliant technology there. All right, I have to do this because I have told myself for years, if I ever get a chance to talk to an automotive engineer that I owe it to my fellow mechanic brethren to ask, <laughs> why do engineers hate mechanics? <laughs> <laughs> and, and my follow-up would be, you know, what is the most difficult piece? Because, you know, there are quality assurance and quality control that has mm -hmm. to be taken into account. There's the survivability of the components and the performance, but there's always that, you know, the maintenance side on the back end. How do you balance those out and make those all come together to go, this is a dependable product, but we still have to have somebody be able to work on it. God willing it breaks or God, hopefully it doesn't break someday. You know, how do you judge that? Because as a mechanic, we all just sit there and, oh, why did they think about this? Yeah. I have no formal training, but if I'd have done it, I'd have put that bolt over here. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the same thing with materials. Some of the things you're dealing with are so specialized and so unique that, you know, Billy Bob Shade Tree mechanic <laughs> would not understand the sciences that go into developing and testing those. So, you know, like, how do you make that find that balance, I guess you could say? 
Yeah, that is such an interesting question. I'm glad, yeah, it's not just me. Um, Know that at McLaren, you know, we are lucky that everyone's on the same site. So the technicians building the cars, you're always going to get that, aren't you? You're always going to get like a little bit like, oh, why didn't they just design it this way? Go on, get the engineer down here. I'll show him how difficult it is to install this. (laughs) But, you know, we're not talking about average serviceable cars here with we're, we're after speed we're after performance we're after handling so i think we have like this unspoken rule that at mclaren you know people are like fitting these wheels or fitting intricate center floor cover plates just to keep things hidden and stuff and there are sort of arguments being like oh god why can they do it this way but you just got to look at these machines and think the fact that this is able to do this or the fact that this machine is going so fast and yet it's so lightweight like there is just some kind of leniency between teams <laughs> but it definitely helps that the communication side of things that we're all on one site because issues like that say if they're picked up early in the development phase um, we can go speak to the technician straight away and see how they're fitted and I think in other car companies that process is so much longer so we're really fortunate in that sense. But personally, I, I, uh, when I was an intern, I worked with the technician. So I, I came into McLaren as that 19-year-old as a process engineer. So I worked with the teams and figured out how these production stations were doing and how to make them more efficient. And it really makes a difference if you formulate relationships with people who are physically on the car earlier on. And it it really helped when I came back to McLaren as materials engineer, um, you know, I'd go down to the production center and I'd have all my mates down there and they may be like, oh, so-and-so engineers done this. And it's really just put two minutes onto my tack time. It's horrendous. And I'm just there like, come on, you know that that thing does amazing stuff. And, you know, it's just building those relationships. And I like to consider myself, um, I, just chat endlessly. And I think they just have enough of me by the time I get down there. So <laughs> I just keep the conversation going. And then, um, yeah, it makes it a lot easier when you are going to introduce a difficult change. <laughs> well, it's also, it's a lot different, as you say, making a McLaren than making a Ford Mondeo. So if you're yes. building something spectacular, you can take liberties with how difficult some of the processes may be. But if you're making a four-door family hauler, come on. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And these cars are so different. I mean, talk Mm -hmm. about the Senna GTI, you're whizzing that around a track, those tires come off and on probably like two, three times a day, a track day. And there are things that you're going to see on these cars that isn't going to be reflected on the cars that need to be serviced regularly and stuff for convenience. So there is, yeah, people just accept it. This car is wild. Okay, fine. I'll dedicate four hours of my life <laughs> the new car the Archura yes. I think I said that right cool mm-hmm. um what car would you compare it to well to say is most similar to that has already been a McLaren so for me I was doing a little bit of digging and on price and power I think it's the 570s mm-hmm. it almost looks like a direct replacement for that car but obviously they've changed it to a v6 but somehow squeeze more power out um, so yeah, which car would you say it's most similar to? Yeah, that's a good question. I think you are on the money with 570. The It's tricky with the Artura because it's 
our first high performance hybrid. So hybrid engine, of course, was we did back in P1 days, but this is so new. Looks wise, I would compare it to the 570 um, purely because it's understated. We didn't want to go wild on the design. We wanted something that was simplistic. If you look at the body panels, for example, and I worked on uh, the body panels, the aluminium body panels on the Archura, there are so fewer body panels on that. If you look at the doors and the rear clams, they're made out of something we call superformed aluminium. And it's a particular type of material science technology that means that we can put aluminium in this really complex geometry based on chemical composition of what's in the material but also the processing technique as well the fact that we're able to form this enormous piece just out of one sheet of aluminium where previously it would be made out of several um it gives that like a really clean simple finish and i think yeah it, it's simple it's a base figure like you said it's a lower end of our um, marketing prices but it's it's a hybrid and it's the launch of this new series. So I don't think it is really comparable in terms of powertrain performance. When can we expect to see the next Senna or the next P1? Like when is that when is that coming? Or can you not say? I can't say. You I can't, can't say. As you can imagine, <laughs> we've got some epic stuff lined up. Like the guys in the studio are just so epic. They come up with some really cool things. And sometimes I get to go in and be like, oh. <laughs> you see all their mood boards and stuff but i cannot say there are some great stuff in the pipeline i'm excited for you guys to see but to be honest i don't even know myself <laughs> these deadlines can change so stay tuned it has been so refreshing to hear you talk about engineering and and cars the way that you do it is quite hard to find a woman who's so passionate the way you are about about cars and engineering and, and how it's all made. Um, I mean, I'm not the most technically minded of, of people when it comes to cars. Um, I just love watching them race. Um, yeah. But in terms of your, your career, you you know, you're working in engineering just now. But where, where do you aspire to be? Uh, you know, is there anything that you would love to do in engineering? Anything that you'd like to work on in the near future? I just love what I do now and quite a few people have asked me this on the off the back of the award they're like okay what's next like what are you going to do and I just think that I'm really fortunate that I have found a niche environment a company that I absolutely adore like you could cut me and I'll bleed McLaren papaya orange like it's ridiculous <laughs> and it's it's a high performance environment that I'm just like loving I'm just like addicted to how the company runs and the stuff that we're producing so in all honesty I can see myself staying with McLaren for a long time what I'd love to do and I love being a materials engineer I love like engineering so I can't see myself straying away from my technical craft too soon but I would love to lead this like scientific analysis side of things. As I was saying to you guys earlier, I think that the, the future for microscopic analysis on cars and really like really small analysis, whether it be 
I don't know, like carbon fiber layups or grain structures or casting structures, like all these really minute details. I think there's a huge future in that because as we continue to push the boundaries of these vehicles so close to the limit, like the only way that we can look for change is by going that small. And the the stuff that I do on a day-to-day basis, you can't see with the naked eye. And yet when you bring that back out to the bulk of the car, we've shaved four kilos off. So it's mad. And I I would love to sort of lead that going forwards. I think there's so much more that we can do um, taking stuff to the lab than uh, just physically like looking at a car and changing things about it. So I'd really like to lead that movement going forwards. Oh, I might, I might have to uh, (laughs) have a half hour for this one. Just hearing Ella talk about the labs, you know, and I don't think anybody here even knows this. Well, especially not you, Ella. (laughs) <laughs> I actually used to work for a, a laboratory in Detroit testing components for the big three in a environmental intrusion, dynamics, and vibratory testing. Oh, cool. And hearing you talk about, you know, studying things at the molecular basis, you know, Americans, we're so far behind on our automotive technologies, it's embarrassing. <laughs> uh, but, you know, how would you how do you envision the, you know, using a mass spectrometer or, you know, small cellular examples to build the overall picture? Because here we shake things till we break and go, well, that didn't work. Try again. <laughs> you know, what do you envision as the future? What are the things you see in the pipeline or processes you would like to implement or even create? Oh, that's such a good question. I like your drop of terminology there, by the way. You know, if you're working on a mass spectrometer, I was like, oh, look at him go. (laughs) Um, Yes. No, that's really cool. That's really, really cool. Um, It's a great question. I think, I don't know, Um, looking to the future when car companies are wanting to introduce heavy battery technology, I think the race for this lightweight business is only going to get madder. And whether that be with aluminium, whether that be with magnesium, you know, there are heavy metallic components that cars have to have. And looking at ways how to take weight out of these components is just going to have to get better and better and better. I think there's always an excitement around additive manufacturing with cars. Um, I think aluminium chassis, aluminium frames, like there's so much you can do with aluminium. And as a metallurgist, like I love to geek out on that stuff. So there's so many things that can be up and coming, but I genuinely think lightweightness is going to take the world by storm. And it's interesting what you say, actually, Matt, about the um, disparity between Uh, American cars and European cars as well, you know, with the, you guys traditionally actually like made like power cars that were quite heavy with steel and stuff like that. And yeah, there are some interesting technologies coming out of the States in terms of aluminium stuff. So yeah, no, I'm excited to see where it goes, to be honest. It's quite a turning point for the automotive industry. I wonder if you guys agree, like with autonomous tech coming forward and vehicles going electric it's it's going to be mad the next decade i think hearing you talk about the processes you know i have no classical training anywhere near the level you do uh i'm just a humble mechanic but i think the thing that's wild for me looking at things on a global scale is in america you talk about we used to make boats is what we call them 
big, heavy, <laughs> lumbering things with the Jeremy Clarkson levels of power to make it relative. And the change from Americans using larger displacement engines with lower volumetric efficiency than what the people on the continent are doing is one big change. Do you feel that internal combustion will be completely done away with? And do you also feel like your role as a human in the manufacturing process may be almost in danger of being outdated with autonomous production facilities and things of that nature? Isn't it mad? I genuinely, I genuinely don't know. I think at McLaren, again, being relatively unique, all of our cars are made by hand. And I know chatting to the customers and the people who buy our cars, that that is actually a huge USP and they love that. They're like, oh, my machine was built by hand. Everything was touched and physically put together by hand. So I think there are going to be pockets of manufacturing that are going to end up or remain like that. Sorry. I think autonomous production lines are definitely going to become more and more frequent, but you know, and people talk about that when with electrification and performance cars, like, is that going to the love for combustion engines die out? And I genuinely don't think so, but I'm seeing a very niche side of it. I think there are always going to be people who are after that experience, like driving is a sport and millions of people watch it. Listen, like the people listening to the show, you know, they're all about the passion for, for driving. And I think that's always going to remain. I think the technologies in which we achieve that experience are definitely going to change. When we talk about autonomous technology, I get quite a few questions of people saying, oh, is that going to take the enjoyment out of it? You know, cars just getting us A to B and we sharing autonomous cars and stuff like that. But I genuinely think the technology, because autonomy is talked about like this miraculous car that's going to arrive in the future. And everyone's like, oh, an autonomous car, when actually it's a series of systems or technology systems that are bringing autonomy to day-to-day vehicles. And I think there are so many systems that we can benefit from by putting these into a performance car, for example. Our cars are so powerful. The fact that we have potentially like traffic driving or parking assistance on the horizon. I think that's genuinely going to help a lot of customers out, you know? So it's, it's something we we're going to embrace and I don't think it's going to damage the performance car market at all. Um, I've got a, I've got a question. Just, just obviously you work for McLaren, so I've set this up lovely. But what makes McLaren different to the other supercar manufacturers, such as Ferrari, Lamborghini? What is it about McLaren that really is special? Great question. You might get a pay rise if you answer this well. I uh, yeah, I'm just thinking about it. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I think the McLaren family is is so different and to be honest I can't pinpoint it as to whether it's based on our heritage the fact that we are down to Bruce McLaren and that is like run true throughout every single person in there Bruce McLaren is in everyone's veins there and it's something that it's just a little bit more personal it when you go to a place like that for example Amanda McLaren Bruce McLaren's daughter works at McLaren and she walks around and she see she has a statue of her father there and you know it's just a lovely like family feel and I think again going back to the fact that we're all on one site that is so crucial 
the fact that we walk to lunch, we can see Formula One drivers, we see all of the trophies, our motorsport divisions won, and it's just all there. And it's just, we're all like very proud of each other. It's just a lovely environment. Um, and our fan base is loves the heritage as well. Our fans are like mental. <laughs> and it's, I think that we're getting across that personal family feel on our social media channels a lot more now. I think it's something that just makes it more relatable to to people watching rather than being like a, a very well-polished automotive company. It's actually, no, we we stand for this, we celebrate Bruce and we're all in it together. And I think that's what makes McLaren amazing and I know you can say this about many other car companies but we are like so driven by science and innovation and the information between companies is so crucial and it definitely makes us stand out so I'm really proud to be representing that really well we're just about out of time um but I've got the most important question to ask Lando or Ricardo No comment. They're both so great. (laughs) Okay, okay. Um, Ella, thank you so much for talking to us today. It's been, I feel like I've been on a journey. I've learned more in in the last hour than I've I've learned in my life, really, honestly. It's been (laughs) been really interesting. Um, So thank you for taking the time to talk to us. If people want to uh, follow your journey, find out more about you, where, where can they do that? Yes, yes, please do. So I post a lot about my career and events that I'm coming up and performing at or whatever um, on my Instagram or my Twitter. And you can follow me at Ella underscore Podmore. So come and see what what an engineer does. (laughs) Amazing. Um, Callum, I think you you had a question. Yeah, just a little (laughs) cheeky one. Um, how likely is it that you could perhaps maybe get us a little tour <laughs> around McLaren HQ? Oh, hit me just, up. Just a hit, little one. Hit little me one. up. COVID's being a bit awkward at the moment, but um, yeah, get in touch, see what I can do. Brilliant. I didn't expect that. Cool. Callum messaged me during the during the show and said, shall I ask? I said, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> you've, got, you've got to ask, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. So you got a job by asking, so... We may as well try and get there by asking. Very good point. See? <laughs> I think we missed the Thanks. trick there. We should have had Ella help us write our letters to McLaren for that. It sounds like <laughs> <laughs> you're on to something, Matt. You're on to something. So thank you very much again, Ella, and uh, we wish you all the best. And let's catch up again soon. Um, and uh, we'd love to have a chat with you when the next car comes out. Yeah, thank you for having me, guys. It's been brilliant. Thank you very much. Podcast Network.